Welcome to the ACO Show. My name is Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a physician and the leader of adoption and training here at Allidade. And we're talking to you from the first week of January 2019. This is Josh Israel. I'm a psychiatrist and a medical director here at Allidade. And we are glad again to have Travis Broom, who is the vice president of policy here at Allidade, to talk us through some of the changes that have been just released by Medicare, uh, the final set of significant regulations for 2019 uh, regarding accountable care organizations. Thank you guys for having me again. Yes, CMS gave us a, a Christmas present or a Friday before Christmas. They gave us the final rule on what is really the second major revamp of the Medicare Shared Savings Program in six years. Um, and when you think about like why we're having you know our second revamp in just six years, uh, measuring value is hard. It is a difficult thing to do. We're basically trying to all agree on what costs would have been in a hypothetical world um, beforehand. So we've, we've been learning a lot over these six years. We've been refining a lot over these six years. Um, and, you know, CMS's measures our value uh, better now than they did three years ago and certainly better than six years ago. So um, we we're very pleased to, to get the role. I don't know about the Friday before Christmas, but other than that, very happy it came in, in um, at, toward the end of 2018 and certainly looking forward to what lies ahead under the new rules in 2019. And what would you say, what are the major categories of things that, that we should be paying attention to? Yeah, there's really three buckets that you, know, you could break the rule up into. Um, currently, we M Medicare Shared Savings Program has two sets of rules, essentially. One is rules that apply across the program, and another set of rules that vary by what are known as tracks. And there are actually four tracks in the in the current regulation: Track One, Track One Plus, Track Two, Track Three. Um, CMS consolidated. Those. I already feel confused. Yeah, I know, right? There's four tracks already. Um, so one of the first things CMS did, or one of the big things they did, is is consolidate down from four to two. So there's now two tracks: Basic and Enhanced. They get names instead of numbers now. Uh, but more importantly, going down from four to two. The other thing is kind of really at the heart of what I said in my intro about it's you got to learn, you have to iterate to measure value accurately. If it was easy, we would have been measuring value a long time ago. So there's changes to the benchmarking methodology and the benchmark can just be considered like our goal of you know, trying to figure out what we thought costs should have been or would have been had the ACO not done its work. And finally, there's some, some new waivers and some new flexibilities um, available to ACOs in the new rule. I think we dig right in with the major changes to the tracks. Sure. Before we had four tracks, track one, track one plus, track two, and track three. Big distinction was, are you taking risk or not? And risk being, if costs go up, then I have to cut Medicare check as an ACO. Um, and track one plus, track two, and track three, they all had risk. 
the risks were different a little bit, which is why they're separate tracks. Track one plus had what we call revenue-based risk, which basically means that a large integrated delivery system with multiple hospitals and labs and clinics and stuff, they might have to write a larger check than say an ACO just made up of independent physician practices. Whereas track two and track three were based on total cost of care. My costs went up 5%. I would have to cut Medicare a check of say 2.5% of however much money those beneficiaries cost Medicare that year. So what do we have now? So now we essentially have two tracks that both require some level of risk. Um, The track one and track one plus kind of come together to form the new basic track. Um, And what basic does is you get one-sided risk, so no chance I'll have to cut a check for Medicare for two to three years, depending on what type of ACO you are. Um, But then in either year three, four, or five, um, you will move to that revenue-based risk. So there is a chance I'll have to cut a check to Medicare if my costs go up. But again, that that check size and revenue-based risk is kind of relates to my ability to afford it based on my revenue from Medicare. So now everybody at some point will be in two-sided risk, right? Yep, everybody will be in two-sided risk. The longest any ACO in the new tracks can stay in one-sided risk is three years, and for some ACOs it'll only be two years. And that's really an important thing to think about because it it's a different mindset and it's a different responsibility and it involves things like repayment mechanisms. You got to set a little money aside at the beginning. It's something really um, important for everybody to consider as they move up the risk chain of am I ready yet or not to move to risk. That being said, again, this is risk that is designed to be survival. It's 8% of your Medicare revenue in the worst case. So in the absolute worst case, if I have losses, I will have to give 8% of the dollars I got from Medicare back to Medicare. Right. So it's not, it shouldn't be ruinous risk. Um, that's the whole point uh, of, of revenue-based risk. But it is there. Um, you get 40% of the savings in basic when you're not taking risk. And then when you take risk, you get 50% of the savings. And this was a big change that CMS heard from Allidate and others. They originally proposed 25% Hmm. um, in the proposed rule that you would only get 25% of the savings when you weren't taking risk. And we pointed out, as with many other folks pointed out, that the 25% of the savings, it just wasn't enough return. Travis, that all makes sense. But what about if you wanted a bigger piece of the upside? What opportunities are there for that? So the biggest opportunity there for that is the enhanced track. So the enhanced track gives you 25% more of the savings, 75% versus 50%. And it's a classic risk-reward trade-off. We, to get more of the savings, to get more of the reward, you take on significantly more risk. In this case, 40% of any losses. So if costs go up, those are considered losses against your benchmark. Um, and you would be on the hook for 40% of those, irregardless of you, you know, kind of your ability to afford them. You know, we talked about revenue-based risk and how it's kind of right-sized to the finances of the participating organizations in the ACL. 
when you go to the enhanced, when you go to full risk, that goes away. Now you are on the hook for 40% of the losses, regardless of whether your financial situation kind of allows for that or not. So it becomes a really big decision point for any ACO. And it's also a decision point that is now more in the hands of individual ACOs. Before, CMS kind of had a very prescriptive um, timeline. You know, every three years, you'll make a decision about which track you want to be in. Um, and you could be in this track this long, that track this long. Now, that still does happen, but they're five year contracts. So if you wait for the CMS timeline, you're talking about 10 years out and things like that. Um, and because that timeline has been extended, CMS also allows you to make the decision earlier for yourself. So every ACO and any given year can choose, now's the time for me. Now's the time I want to go to risk and move towards enhanced and get the higher rewards, but also take on the greater risk. And that opportunity is one that I think is really important for ACOs to consider in how they move forward um, because before you could kind of sit back and just simply say, well, CMS has kind of mapped out my financial future for me, so I'm just going to concentrate on population health and, and doing right by my patients. Um, now CMS has given on ACOs more freedom, more um, decision-making in kind of the financial side of when the time to go to risk is. And so ACOs need to consider their benchmarks each year. Now, of course, these rules can change, but you know, if you had to guess, what do you think is going to be the result of this? Is this going to be uh, more ACOs uh, getting more revenue for their efforts or just sort of shaking out ACOs so there end up fewer ACOs because of the, the two-sided risk? Well, I certainly uh, hope that we end up with more ACOs taking risk. Um, I think, you know, as, as we'll talk about here in just a minute, I think there were some changes to the benchmarking um, methodology that were very good for ACOs. And I hope ACOs um, will be able to, to understand that and grasp that and really use that as an opportunity to accelerate their transition to risk and therefore their transition to getting more of the savings. Great. So that leads us nicely into benchmark. So talk us through those changes. And, and for my sake, please talk very slowly. <laughs> I feel like I just figured out the previous benchmarking. <laughs> well, the good news is the core of the benchmarking didn't change. Right, we, We've talked before in podcasts about um, historic and regional benchmarking, historic being beating my own past performance, regional benchmarking beating the performance of um, my market, basically, the, the people around me. And those two core elements remain um, relatively unchanged. There are really two changes that we're really going to spend our time on today, kind of two changes and a decision. Um, the two changes are that regional benchmarking, that idea of competing against my neighbors, is going to happen a lot faster now. So before, it didn't happen until year four of the program. So I always had to be an ACO for three years before I even worried about regional benchmarking. Now it's going to happen year one. Basic or enhanced, doesn't matter. Year one, there will be some regional benchmarking. And by regional versus national benchmarking, I think what you mean is that um, – what you are expected to spend on your patients uh, will now be compared to people in your area rather than just national economic trends. Is that right? Well, it's, it's two pieces. So one, when they're setting the benchmark initially, um, if it was pure historical benchmarking, they would just look at my cost history. What is the my ACO's cost history with their patients? 
irregardless of whether that cost history was better or worse than all the other providers in my market. And now we're, what we're going to do at the very beginning and what we used to do at year four and now we're going to do at year one is we're going to say, well, actually, we're going to look at a mix to set that initial benchmark. And we're going to, if I'm regionally efficient, so I cost less historically. A patient comes to me and they get my care from me and they tend to cost less than if they go somewhere else. And that's going to be 35% if I'm regionally efficient of my benchmark. And then my own cost performance will be 65%. The exact same way it would have been in year four previously, but now again in year one. Um, and then if I'm regionally inefficient, and there are lots of, it's important for folks to understand that regionally inefficient does not equal bad care, right? There could be many reasons you'd be regionally inefficient and still getting excellent care from your providers. It could simply be that they use a ton more specialists and just more reliant on specialists. It could be that they have a sicker population and that that population's um, level of sickness is not reflected. But there is also a measure of competition there. But it's important to understand regionally if inefficient does not therefore translate into worse provider. Um, but if I am regionally inefficient, um, it's 15%. So 15% of my regional benchmark would be um, is my goes into my benchmark and 85% of my historic goes in. CMS, this is again, just like the 25% to 40% of the shared savings, this was originally gonna be 25% if I was regionally inefficient. CMS backed that off to 15. So the important part to remember from all, all of that and understanding it, and you can take the time to understand it later, but is that day one, if I'm regionally efficient, i.e. I cost less than the folks around me, I'm gonna be rewarded for that in my benchmark. And then if I'm regionally inefficient, I'm going to get a penalty, but a much smaller penalty. Um, again, only 15%. So that's something to be aware of right from the get-go. Now, if you're regionally inefficient, high cost, it's considered easier to generate savings from a high cost thing. So it's not all bad news if you're regionally inefficient because you have more room to run, as it were. So the target for the cost of care of your patients is the main thing that's mm -hmm. going to be changing. Yep. So that's that changes there. And then I think you were kind of alluding to uh, another component that, again, was available in year four, but is now moving to year one, which is the use of regional inflation versus national inflation. Um, so before, in the first three years of the program, they used national inflation. No matter where you were in the country, you got the same inflation number. And it didn't matter if your cost in your market went up 6%. If they only went up 3% in the nation, you only got a 3% inflation factor. That's really tough into it um, because most ACOs don't dominate their market. They're not responsible for the majority of the healthcare inflation in their market. Um, so they were being kind of penalized, if you will, for being in a quote-unquote bad market um, and rewarded for being in a quote-unquote good market, i.e. a market with lower inflation than national inflation, without really any ability to determine their market. So in the past, you could do a good job taking care of your patients, they could stay healthy, but if costs in your area went up for factors beyond your control, you would still be penalized. Yeah. So to give you a, a, an easy math example, if costs in my area went up 
but my ACO's cost only went up 3%, I beat my market by 3%, right? Six minus three. Um, but if national inflation was 3% and my cost went up 3% and they use national inflation, then basically CMS is saying, nope, you didn't save a dollar. It's a wash. Yep. Um, you know, three minus three equals zero. So that's pretty tough because again, very few ACOs make up the majority of the market. Here at Allidade, our the ACO with the most um, market penetration of all of our 15 ACOs that were active last year was 32%, right? So they didn't even sniff making up the majority of the market. So that was a really good change, we think, um, because we want to be measured on the difference we're making. The other big thing that changed in benchmarking methodology. Um, so now we're, we're basically, you know, the axiom healthcare is local, right? It's now more local. MSSP is now more local. Um, the other thing that changed what had to do with risk adjustment. And risk adjustment is basically trying to compare, you know, me to you to Joe. Um, you know, we have different health expectations based on our health history. And risk adjustment is trying to use uh, numbers to basically say, well, we can now compare Travis, Joe, and Josh um, because we've accounted for the differences in their health, their age, any chronic conditions they have, you know, things like that. And before, CMS would not allow risk the risk score number to go up um, for people for established patients of a practice. For an established patient of a practice, CMS said, you know, well, no, you should keep those costs, keep those patients healthy. Um, and if they get sicker, it doesn't really matter if it was within your control or not. We won't let their risk score rise. The risk score matters because if risk score rises and it's allowed to rise, it raises your benchmark too. And with risk score, what we're talking about is patients getting sicker and getting more diagnoses right. uh, in the medical record to reflect that. Absolutely. So it would be someone who say, you know, contracted cancer, uh, unfortunately. And if, as long as, you know, like I said, the paperwork reflects that they had cancer, that's an easy one to reflect in the paperwork. Some of the other ones are harder. Um, then their risk score would go up. Let's say it goes from one to two. I have no idea if that's what it goes to for cancer, but if it went from one to two, they would say, oh, well, when you're one, we expect you to cost $10,000. When mm -hmm. you're two, we expect you to cost $20,000. And they don't bake in that additional cost, even if your actual costs are going up based on the documentation. Right. Yeah. So under the old rules, um, any individual's risk score, I mean, each our individual risk score is a you know, they go up or down. But collectively, if the three of us were the members of an ACO, um, the world's smallest ACO, the um, they wouldn't allow our average to go mm -hmm. up before, which is really tough if you had an aging population. You know, we think we see a lot of our practices, a lot of the practices might be at kind of capacity um, and maybe not accepting a lot of new patients. And if you're not accepting a lot of new patients, your population will age. It will get sicker. Um, so, CMS now kind of is acknowledging that, right? So now they will let the risk score go up a little bit. They'll let it go up 3% over the course of a five-year contract. 3% um, is not, you know, as good as five. It's certainly not as good as just letting risk scores be what they are, but it's certainly better than zero, 
So risk score can go up a little bit. CMS estimated that um, they chose 3% because about 70% of ACOs are in that 3% range when they looked back in the history. So now your risk score can go up and your benchmark can go up correspondingly, um, but there is a ceiling. So this is decidedly in the uh, better than we had before, but not perfect bucket. So all the more important now that providers put the right diagnoses in the medical record, is that right? Yeah, it's more it's more impactful. Uh, I would say it's always been very important. Now it's more impactful um, that they put it in there. And you know, back to our prior conversation about like eventually you will have to take risk. Allowing this risk score to rise will um, will create a situation um, where risk is less risky, if you will, um, because your your population how your population is scored will be a little bit closer to how they are in reality. Okay, that was clear, thanks. So for the first two buckets, it seems like we're bringing in, um, using some of the existing elements of the program to add uh, new factors throughout the process, whether that's regional efficiency uh, happening earlier, two-sided risk, uh, the 3% change in patient acuity through risk scoring. Um, what about waivers? We haven't done much with waivers in the ACO world thus far. So mm-hmm. what are those changes? Yeah, so the waiver situation, uh, and first it's important to know what we mean by a waiver, right? So waivers are usually, or CMS taking away a restriction for ACOs. Um, and there are three main restrictions that CMS in the final rule is, is giving, is allowing ACOs to waive. Um, the first is kind of the one that ACOs have been using for a while. It's been very popular in Medicare Advantage. It's called the Skilled Nursing Facility Three-Day Waiver Rule. Um, so under regular Medicare with no waiver, uh, Medicare will only pay for a skilled nursing facility stay if it was preceded by a hospital stay of at least three days. That's the name. Um now, if you're in an ACO that takes risk, any level of risk, revenue-based, total cost of care risk, any risk at all, um, you can, if you have a clinical protocol that allows for it and it's what's best for the patient, you can skip the hospital stay and people can go straight to a skilled nursing facility. And the skilled nursing facility will get paid by Medicare, whatever their normal rate is, um, even if the hospital stay wasn't there. And that is the, um, so that's probably, like I said, the, the most common one that's been mm-hmm. around for a while. Really, what is now what is new has been expanded. So anybody who takes risk doesn't matter what assignment methodology or no caveats. If you take risk, you can and you have the clinical protocol, you can use it. The second one has to do with telehealth. Um, there's some rules around telehealth called originating site and being eligible. Yet you know have to be in certain areas of the country um, to fully utilize telehealth. Uh, an ACO can now use the same telehealth services, so there isn't a new telehealth service available for ACOs, but they can get paid to do te- for telehealth services regardless of where they are in the country. Um, so an urban big city ACO can use telehealth if it makes sense and it's advantageous for them um, where if they're in the ACO, whereas in most urban areas, you can't use a lot of telehealth services. So the trend of both of these sounds like Medicare is saying, look, you are trying to give good care and bring down costs. We will let you decide how to spend that money. Right. 
Absolutely. And and they can confidently make that declaration because they have a backstop, right? There's it's not only do they you know say that we believe you, but you know if you really screw up and abuse the waiver. Um, you have to pay us money back because your costs would go up. Trust but verify, or Trust, something like that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, and the uh, the final one has to do with uh, beneficiary incentives, um, and this is one of the trickiest waivers in the sense of there's a lot of misunderstanding about what you can do today. So today you can give beneficiaries some things, not others. Um, and by that, I mean, like, you can't give them cash, but you can give them, you know, anything that is has a clinical benefit. It's very, very confusing area, and a lot of providers don't take advantage of what they can do today because of that confusion. ACOs get a waiver that simplifies it um, and gives allows benefic- um, practices to do things like, you know, reward beneficiaries for getting their annual wellness visits um, with, and things like that uh, easier and simpler. And that that waiver is one that does come out of the uh, ACO's pocket a little bit. It's not like CMS is going to give you, um, you know, the, the money to, to provide the beneficiary um, with kind of an incentive to say get their annual wellness visit or do transitional care management or something, um, but now the but the provider can provide those things or the ACO can provide those things with a assurance essentially from CMS that um, it wouldn't be improper. So it sounds like in addition to some some new benchmarking and some new framing of the tracks, uh, we also are going to be in the waiver game a bit here. Yeah, quite possibly. I, I mean, a lot of the, the, the thing about the waivers is you, you, you got to have a good plan, right? Like, you know, you got to have a great way to utilize them as an ACO. And, you know, here at Alliday, we, we our product teams and our field teams are always trying to find good ways to utilize those things. But it's always better to have a flexibility and have the option than not to have the option. So we're glad to have more options. Travis, a grateful nation. Thanks you for for wading through that that gigantic stack of regulations. You're most welcome.